0: You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. This episode of Rootbound is brought to you by Germination, that magical moment when a seed comes to life and begins its journey as a plant. Germination, the start of something big. Everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm your host, and my name is Steve. Each week on Rootbound, I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, this is not the coffee episode, but coffee is kind of important to the plants we're going to talk about today for the fact that they are not coffee, as I will explain a little bit more. But I'll explain some right now, and that's this idea that I think humans love coffee so much that in the cases when they can't get coffee or for some reason cannot drink coffee, uh, (laughs) we try all sorts of different things to simulate that uh, feeling of drinking a cup of coffee. Um, There's a bunch of plants uh, that that are considered coffee substitutes, including dandelion root, which I talked about way back on episode one of the podcast, also yopon holly, which I grow in my yard, which is the only native plant in North America that is caffeinated, but there's lots of other things that we use as coffee substitutes, barley and other grains, Uh, postum is a drink you might have heard of, that is like a mixture of different grains that are used as a coffee substitute, carob people have made a coffee-like drink from Uh, there's a point when people were just using roasted acorns to make a coffee-like drink Uh, probably had to process those so they wasn't so bitter Um, cacao apparently you can make a coffee-like drink from Uh, lupin seeds which I never heard of until i googled that recently burdock root there's a a nut from central america called the ramon nut which uh, is used to make a coffee-like drink and then a very popular thing which is not a plant Uh, right now is to use various mushrooms to simulate a coffee-like drink. So, I mean, I get it. I love coffee. So if you can't get it or for some reason you can't drink it, uh, it's nice to try to simulate it. And uh, yeah, both the plants we're going to talk about today are two other plants that are also used as coffee substitutes. Let's meet our guest. This song goes out to all the coffee lovers of the world. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Rootbound.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Do you have a plant to share with us today?
1: I do. My plant is the Kentucky coffee tree. So its formal name is uh, Gymnoclatus dioicus.
0: Ooh, that's a good name. I, I, I think we have those around here. I think I've seen those, but I don't know anything about them. So I'm very excited to hear about them with you. I think I have a hint about one of their uses from the name, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure about that. Um, but yes, let's get into it. Why did you choose this tree? Why is this tree meaningful to you?
1: Um, so I chose this tree because um, I, I've only uh, gotten to know it fairly recently, and it's helped me acclimate to a new city. <laughs> so mm. um, I grew up on, on the East Coast um, in North Carolina, I didn't think it was around, I don't remember seeing it ever, who's to say. Um, and I spent a fair time uh, on the California coast as well, and both of those are you know, not really in its central range. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, I moved to Denver and, um, (laughs) I'd never really lived somewhere with a, with a real winter (laughs) before. And and Mm. some people will quibble about whether Denver really has real winters or not, but the (laughs) Minnesotans can, can stay where they are North. (laughs) Um, and, uh. So I'd moved here. It was cold. I um, was trying to love the place and finding it somewhat difficult. Um, Mm. And I had uh, fairly recently gotten into foraging. Um, And uh, you sort of hear that there's an on-season and an off-season for foraging. And so the summer is when spring through fall things are happening and then winter is the the off-season. And so it was Mm -hmm. sort of like winter is just a thing to be endured until you get to green in the spring again. Um, and then I discovered Kentucky coffee tree, which is harvestable in the winter and all winter long. The season is really long. Um, like wow. once they're ripe, they they hang on the branches and they fall on the ground and they're like shelf stable because it's so dry here that the nothing, nothing rots, it just mummifies. It's great. <laughs> huh. and,
0: uh, built in, uh, yeah. he, uh, built, it, built in dryer. Yeah. Uh, like yeah
1: just live in a dehydrator here it's lovely yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty useful for some things actually um and so i suddenly had this um this this new plant friend that i could spot from a distance because it's a really identifiable tree the pods on it i've got a couple here they're you know like they're they're pretty oh wow yeah they're like three to five inches long they're they're big legumes really because it isn't like
0: over a inch wide too that's very big yeah. audience. I'm yeah. looking at it right now. It's a big, it's a big thing.
1: It's kind of flat, but it's a, uh, it's, it's broad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they're in the trees, um, and the trees have no leaves on them, uh, which they do about half the year, they're just pff, no leaves. Um, mm-hmm. the pods really stand out, um, cause they hang mm-hmm. all in the trees and it looks like a tree full of crows from a distance. Um,
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So once you have your eye and you can spot them from like a hundred yards and you're like, haha. A friend, and then uh, you you go over, and and there's all of these pods on the ground, and you can you can pick them up and go home with like a shopping bag full of them. Wow! Um, and so suddenly the city was like just full of this real abundance, um, and I found out I really like um, I like the nuts by themselves. I like them as a drink. I like them in food, and and um, so I, it, it's sort of this like not just a winter abundance, but like a real untapped food source in the city that I Mm. can get really excited about. Um, Yeah. So I feel like I'm just starting to learn what the possibilities are with it. And there's a lot, a lot more to go.
0: Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I'm a little bit of a forger myself. And the one thing that's always really like stood out to me is like, is this idea of abundance? And I feel like the supermarket is based off of scarcity and things that are abundant just don't have a price. Right, you, right, and 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 so we ignore the things that are abundant in the economy that's based off of buying things because you can't sell something that's free. But then that means we ignore these things that are really abundant. I think this is a really good example of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the globalized marketplace kind of has has shifted our sense of value and, and skewed things in some funny ways. Um, and well, I will say, in, in foraging, like sometimes there are foods that are abundant, but you know, our our whole evolved niche as humans is that we do what's called extractive foraging, which means the majority of our foods, you can't just like pick it up and start munching on it like most other primates and, and most other animals. So the thing about Kentucky coffee seeds is, you know, they come in these great pods, but um, do a little demonstration. I don't know if the audio will uh-huh. catch it, but you literally, I take a butter knife and I have to shuck the pod like I'm shucking an oyster to open up and get the, oh. the seeds out. Um, and then once you get these seeds, um, I have a friend, Maria Wesserly, over at Four Seasons Foraging, calls them forbidden M&Ms because they look just like <laughs> wow. peanut m ms They do M&Ms. look like a little M&M. <laughs> like brown peanut M&Ms. Um, so once you get the seeds out, um, you still can't eat them and you can't crack them. You have to then roast them and then you have to crack the outer layer off of the seed and you end up with... Uh, with these roasted little kernels and then if you want to make coffee out of them then you have to grind them and boil them so it's a whole process so it's abundant but it's um time intensive potentially
0: sure and and right right and and, uh how much is your time worth you know if it's not just a hobby right that's interesting
1: right yeah so
0: you do have to roast them i I think i i read something briefly some but there is like a toxic element if they're not properly repaired is that is that the case
1: yeah, it's it seems to be it seems to be the case. Um, unfortunately, I think they're they're vastly understudied, especially as a as a foodstuff. Um, so there was a mm. study done in two thousand and nine in Indiana University um, where they looked for the toxic alkaloid that they thought was in the pods, which I'm going to mispronounce it, but I think it said uh, cysticine. Um and so they sort of they they took the pods and, and the beans and, and tested for cysticine content. And they didn't find any. Um, but they found uh, a new alkaloid that hadn't been named before. So they named it after the plant. So it's called dioacine after the, the species name, dioacus. Um, and so there is an alkaloid in there. Um, but they didn't test roasted beans and they didn't sort of play around mm. with processing it as a foodstuff and testing what it does, but it does seem to be an alkaloid that's fairly unstable and can be broken down by heat and water, um, which is exactly what you do when you turn it into coffee.
0: Interesting. Yeah. That, that is also so fascinating. I feel like I, I saw on your Instagram recently, and I, I had experience of using, of, of cooking pokeweed, which is similar, right? Like you have to cook it to get rid of the, you know, the, the toxic element. Um, and, and in this case, you get rid of the water, um but i think there's a lot of plants like that that we have all this fear of because you hear it's toxic but the way i try to think about it's like well if you eat raw chicken it's also toxic right like some things you have to cook or processes in a certain way so i try not to be afraid of it just because it has a toxic element because we deal with that all the time
1: yeah raw potatoes Uh, man they will mess you up (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, raw to raw, anything. Yeah. Um, so that's a really interesting point. Um, okay, well let's let's talk about let's break down that name a little bit. Yeah. Kentucky first. Why is it called the Kentucky coffee tree?
1: Okay, so um, it's called the Kentucky coffee tree because our first written records of it being used for coffee come from uh, like early settler colonial times, and that bluegrass region um, is is pretty um, ecologically circumscribed. You know, by by mountains, and so travel in and out of the area is hard, and so bringing um, bringing uh, goods by wagon uh, was particularly difficult. And so um there's sort of early writings that refer to a, a local coffee nut, um, and it oh. um, the the modifier Kentucky got got added later when it was associated with that region, but it has a much longer um, history as a as a food item um, with you know. Uh, <laughs> with native peoples in, in the area, sort of in the, um, I wanna say it's like, not just the central Ohio River Valley, but um, that it's a floodplain plant um, that loves sort mm-hmm. of that, that uh, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas type area. Um, and so I actually, I wrote this down because I looked this up today, because the ethnographic record on this is frustratingly sparse, um, but it's the, uh, the sock and fox, the pony and the Winnebago that we have um, uh, records of uh, interviews where people mentioned, oh yeah, we uh, we roast that and uh, and eat it. Um, and there are a couple of different uh, people in the early 20th century who were doing ethnographic interviews to find that. But I wish they came with recipes and processing times. Mm-hmm. And um, there's even one really tantalizing reference uh, to the, the pulp that's in the pods, which uh, is pretty, um, you can't really see it in the ones I have now because they've been on the ground all winter, but um, it's sort of this bright acid green, um,
0: oh, interesting. So like yeah. when it's more fresh, a little bit, not so dried, do you like what is keep, I forget that word for that it, biologically, but like what's keeping the seeds in place inside the pot? Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it starts out sort of uh, the pulp, it's like this misogynist, like thick, sticky pulp. Um, but in Colorado, weather it just kind of like dries out and crystallizes uh, over time, um, and then eventually breaks down. But it's sweet. And then it's hella bitter, you know? It's like, it starts out being like, oh, maybe this is a food thing. Then then your tongue is like, oh no, 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 this should not be, don't do that. Um, But there is at least one reference in the ethnographic record of people, uh, they say processing the pods like tamarind, whatever that means, whether that just means crushing and drying or or what have you. And so it's this really abundant, sweet, sticky substance that it's like, well, if you could process it correctly, maybe it would be a great, food but i don't know i don't know what that process needs to look like and i'm a little nervous of uh experimenting on myself
0: (laughs) sure yeah that's always i think a wise thought and you know caution to the audience (laughs) yeah you should always consult an expert before you experiment with food for for safety reasons but it is always that is i mean that happens so much you have you find these little references in old texts that reference something and you're like okay but tell me more (laughs) (laughs) and it's hard to find yeah, 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 it's hard to find sometimes. That's super fascinating. Okay, yeah. so we've mentioned a little bit now that the second part of that is, is well, the third one is tree, so it is a tree.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Is, how big it's does a, it get?
1: It's a big tree. Um, I say, like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm going to get this range wrong, but I I'm, I would estimate, like, 90 to 120 feet, uh, when, and it's mature wow. Oh, wow. So when you find them, usually the uh, the trick is... Um, unless the pods have fallen to the ground, um, how many of them can you actually reach? Because most of the branches are, are mm-hmm. higher than you can reach. Um, so come with a ladder or <laughs> I don't know. But um, Big stick. <laughs> they're, they're robust, robust specimens. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about the coffee part. Yeah. <laughs> so you've mentioned a couple times, and maybe let's get more into details about how you would actually make coffee. I, I, I'm guessing there's not actual caffeine in it, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, tell me more about this coffee aspect of the kentucky Kentucky coffee tree,
1: so whether or not there is some sort of stimulant in it is still an open question um, mm. Most people say they don't feel a stimulant effect from it um and i I don't but i I drink too much regular coffee probably to feel but I don't really get much <laughs> of a buzz from from yopon, and that, that definitely has caffeine in it mm-hmm. um but, um, I know at least one friend who's who's tried it and says so she definitely feels a buzz from it, and she's not usually a caffeine drinker, so is more sensitive to it um mm. but yeah, maybe um <laughs> uh, more yeah. study needed we need we need more research funds um but i actually i made some <laughs> to, Oh, to look at that a little yeah. nice cl- a little clear
0: coffee pot on there, and it's a yeah. uh, it's kind of like um. It's like fairly like looks a little bit cloudy at the moment, right? Not as clear as coffee, but maybe that's <laughs> yeah. the filtering that needs to happen or.
1: Well, so I um I kind of like it Turkish coffee style. I like
0: I like oh, the grounds okay. in
1: it. It gives it more body and since the whole things are mm-hmm. I like to eat them just as a, a snack out of hand that I I enjoy mm. it this way. Um but most people I know do do filter it out. Um mm-hmm. the best way to Okay, so the whole process is once you get your once you shell your your seeds um well once you get them out of the pods then you have to roast them um you can pretty much do it at any temperature um the higher you you the higher the temperature the shorter the time but the higher the likelihood that um a good portion of the seeds will explode Okay, Um, and some of them always do explode and that's actually how you know that your cooking time is is done so a good middle of the road is put it at 350 and roast them until you hear the first couple of seeds pop and then turn off the oven and just leave it um and then take Ah. them out
0: um
1: and so i always i roast them um on a baking sheet with a heavy casserole dish overturned on them so that they it catches them when they when they start flying around um (laughs) But uh, so once you've got those, at the moment, I've just been shelling them with a with a hand uh, nutcracker. And so that's a bit of a process, you know, you put on a show that you like and you're like, I'm gonna crack some coffee nuts right now. They smell incredible when they start roasting. It's like this this deep, I mean, chocolatey, toasty, malty. Mm. Um, I absolutely love the smell of it. Um, and uh, one of these days I'm gonna get myself a, um, <laughs> a dave built nutcracker uh that some people use for cracking acorns and that i suspect would work for for coffee nuts because it's i think made for hazelnuts and they're about roughly oh, the same size yeah. and so that would would make bulk cracking easier um yeah how are you cracking them right now just a little I, I nutcracker think... yeah just one yeah. at a time yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i did that with acorns one year and i was like this this is not sustainable. <laughs> I gotta find right. a better way to do it. Exactly. Um,
1: yeah. I'm gonna invest in some equipment for sure.
0: So when you 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 roast did you you roast them shelled already? Or no, you roast them when they're they're still in the shell and you crack them after. I mean if you can
1: shell them before you roast them, more power to you. But I have okay. never okay. successfully <laughs> been able to crack one. Um yeah. Um, so you roast them and then you shell them. Uh and then you grind them. Um I mean, they'll they'll come out all kinds of different colors, and if if you can sort of separate out the lighter ones and re-roast them a little bit after shelling them to make sure that they're dark enough for your for your liking, and also some people, I mean, your mileage may vary, but some people say that lighter lighter nuts do give them a bit of a tummy ache, so um, the mm. darker roasting seems to be an important component for a lot of people. Um, and then you grind them in a regular coffee grinder. And um, I like to do them sort of like a, like a Greek or Turkish style coffee, the grounds in a pot on the stove and boil it for about 10 minutes to make a, a decoction. And then you can strain it if you like, or pour it and drink it with the grounds if you're a bag like me. And uh, yeah, you can, you can add sweeteners and creamers and all that. I don't think it needs it. Um, I find the finished product to be less bitter than regular coffee um Mm. but to hit a lot of the same um Mm. the same like sort of vaguely umami and and the the satisfaction notes that coffee hits like a lot of things that people say are sort of coffee substitutes end up being i think they miss the body they don't have they seem they're tea you know they're not coffee they're Mm -hmm, they're tea mm Um, whereas for me, this, this hits a lot closer to coffee than, um, other things. Although there are, are a lot of disparaging remarks in the literature about uh, how it compares to coffee. Um, and most people don't seem to like <laughs> it. Um, but.
0: <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Uh, and then, and then you do just eat the nuts like you would eat, like, I uh, like a, any nut too.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I do. I nibble on them. Um. My my partner really loves them and says he likes them more than more than peanuts. And we'll just pop a handful and and crunch on them. Wow, <laughs> that's a little rich for my blood. Um, so the darker roast ones have this like almost like carob, chocolatey like really intense flavor, and the lighter roast ones are more like a like a nut. And the flavor changes quite dramatically, I think. Wow,
0: that is super fascinating. That wow, I want to try some. I think I've seen some trees. I'm pretty sure we have some somewhere. I've had them pointed out to me before. So I need to go track one down. Um, cause, cause, um yeah, that sounds super cool.
1: So uh to transition slightly to another excellent fact about them that I, I would be remiss if I didn't didn't mention in this episode. Um, if you don't want to wait until the fall when the pods are are ripe and you can make coffee, um earlier in the summer, uh, Alan Bergo the forager chef is his his online moniker. He um he has been brave enough to do the experimentation with with green coffee beans, um, to harvest them um, sort of in in July August um before they're mm. ripe and treat them like fava beans because they're you know they're a giant legume um, and they have sort of that oh. outer shell that is softer before they are fully ripe and so they are kind of like fava beans the way they have the the outer pod and then the inner peel and like, like, crap, you know. Um, and I'm really excited to, to try those this year when they come back around. And he has he has called them mastodon peas. And there's a really oh, good reason. Cool. For that. Um, tell
0: me, okay, I think I have an okay. idea. But please tell me. <laughs>
1: um, it's because um, it is believed. Um, I think it's mainly context clues. I, I haven't found in the literature, like what the actual evidence might might be, other than people going, I think this makes sense. Um, it is believed that these trees co-evolved with megafauna, um, mm-hmm. because they're giant legumes, they're these pods filled with this sweet pulp, um, and the seeds themselves don't germinate very well unless you um, uh, scratch the surface and soak them in an acid solution. Um, and all of that kind of points to the <laughs> idea that they're maybe built to be eaten by a giant mammal, um, and passed through the gut wow. of a giant mammal in order to or maybe not mammal, because the the two that come up are either mastodons or grass sloths. So um I guess mostly well.
0: Yeah, that's you know, I when you mentioned mastodon, I was thinking that the pawpaw has a similar theory about the pawpaw. Oh, for real. Actually. Um, because they have uh, these giant seeds that don't really get eaten very effectively by many things. And so the theory, and I wonder if it's similar with the coffee tree, the theory was that the that the pawpaw, you know, co-evolved with a giant sloth or maybe a mastodon. And then right as those started to fade out, humans started to get the interest and started to, like, propagate them more and make them spread because we have an interest and I wonder if it's similar with the coffee tree uh, that, that, you know, there is some human propagation responsible for it like how, how are, are they are they native to the colorado area where you are or are because it sounds very different from the ohio valley so like they were brought over by
1: people i assume yeah they they seem well in denver in particular they are an incredibly popular street tree um they mm. seem to do well colonizing exactly the same niche as the ash tree and the elm tree um mm. and the the elm the american elm of course has had um real problems uh with die off in the mm-hmm. last century and um the ash tree the ash tree borers here are doing a number on the ash trees um and yeah. so they're they're a good alternative um and and they play well with those and, and they're in the same niche as honey locusts which is also a, a relative mm. um so yeah outside of their native range um they seem to be mainly planted as as street trees but they are quite popular that way um Yeah. And there is some idea that even within what's considered their native range, that it might be the result of human activities, but it's really hard to tell because they're floodplain trees. So, and they like disturbance and they like, uh, sunlight and rich soils. They like all of the same things in an environment that that humans do. Um, and so are they there Mm -hmm. because we put Mm -hmm. them there or are they there because they came to the same party? Hard to say.
0: Very fascinating. Um, wow what a cool tree i can't wait to try that uh thank you for sharing so much about that with me did we miss anything about the kentucky coffee tree
1: um did we um i think that's 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 pretty much the the main part of it i did want to say though that um i i've talked a lot about like the the sparse ethnographic record about how to eat this tree Mm -hmm. um and so i think it's a really uh, (laughs) informative case study in like how easily knowledge about food can be lost and how difficult it yeah. is to regain it as an individual who's been separated from those traditions. Um, so just just putting that out there into the ether.
0: Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Thank you for sharing Kentucky Coffee Tree with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you?
1: I would love you to share a plant with me.
0: Okay, so before I started recording this with you, I wasn't 100% sure that you made, like, a coffee substitute with Kentucky Coffee Tree, but I, I figured because it was in the name. Um, but uh, that made me think about, like, there's just this theme of all these plants that have been used as coffee substitutes throughout history. Um, and there's one of those that, uh, like, so, well, which one of those means something to me? And I've already talked about a few, like, dandelion or or uh, yopon. Um, but the one that kind of, I think if it means something to me, I had to choose would be chicory. Um, and I, that's, so that's my plan. And I think I'll get a little bit too why it means something to me a little bit later, but first let's just talk about chicory. It's just going down the research rabbit hole with this. It's super fascinating. Um, I don't know how much you know about chicory. Um, but yes, I was, I was kind of stunned by certain things that I, I learned about it. Um, so for those of you who don't know, chicory is, uh, uh, it's, uh, scientific name is, uh, sic Cic- intibus or maybe sicureum uh indivia which is is indivia is related to ondive or ondive depending on how you pronounce it um and chicory are the same plant or at least in the same genus uh <laughs> wikipedia has a quote that says there is considerable confusion between C and devia and C (laughs) intibus so the difference between those two species is a little bit unclear um and and some of them that we eat as vegetables could be either one i guess because they're like cultivated varieties of the wild plant chicory so the wild plant is is from europe uh it's introduced to north america and 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 the one that's most common i think in like old european text is this uh or sicureum or sicurium, intibus which sicureum is like probably a greek word for the plant and intibus is some other older name based on an older name for the plant um it was the, the etymology was kind of confusing but basically it's like two words that i think people had called the plant at some point in the past um and it's been cultivated or are um gathered wild by you know european societies for a very long time it's quite old um and it has also been cultivated and so there are several uh plants that we eat that are the same species as chicory so one is on which i mentioned or endive escarole is also chicory radicchio is also chicory um the belgian ondive is also chicory frisee is also chicory no um yeah they're all the same species and that's something that happens you know quite a bit where you know humans have like selectively bred these things for certain characteristics um and and it's the same exact species. It's kind of like how, you know, uh, a Great Dane and a, and a Chihuahua are both dogs, but they're just <laughs> different dogs, and this is the same thing. So I thought that was super fascinating. Um, that yeah, I, di- I didn't realize that, that those were all the same plant.
1: I knew they were all closely related, but I didn't know they were the same species.
0: Yeah, and, and some of them might be this uh, Chicorium endivia and some might be the intibus. But I, from my understanding, most of it is intibus. And then Chicoria and Divia I think, is more likely to be Frise. But I don't know. If you know audience more than me, which one is which, but that's what I understand. Now, super fascinating is the Belgian Endive or Belgian Endive, which, uh, you know, is the one that is like a little like cone or like oval-shaped white leaves. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, it's um, like, a, like a torpedo cabbage.
0: Totally. That one is super fascinating and I had a, once once I thought about it and something I learned on a previous episode I was like is this the case with this one now cuz I started to learn back on the episode where we talked about rhubarb about this concept of forcing a plant yeah. or blanching a plant right which is where you grow a plant in darkness and so it doesn't have the time to develop the chlorophyll yeah. And that's what the Belgian endive is. It is a forced version or a blanched version, and not blanched like putting in a pot of water. Blanched. It's also blanched when you grow it in darkness. It's a blanched version of the um, of the endive and or the of chicory. It's a blanched version of chicory. Um, and I have a quote here from a, from a website called foodmuseum.org, which I think only exists in archive.org now, but uh, here's the quote. It says, uh, the Belgian endive is practically a brand new plant, having been, quote, discovered about 1850. A professional gardener connected with a Brussels botanical garden took some wild chicory plants and grew them indoors in a cellar with dirt mounted up around them, perhaps inadvertently. An assistant coming upon one such plant was surprised to discover under the earth what Belgians now call white gold, a <laughs> white leafed, a long head with yellow tips and the, the the belgian word for um endive is is uh wheat loaf which means white leaf
1: sure.
0: so so that's do, pretty interesting uh, yeah do you
1: know does forcing the plant make it less bitter does it, does it end up having more sweet components to it is that the reason i, it th- I
0: think it's less bitter and i think it's more tender which mm-hmm. is i think maybe more of the goal so the really common forced plant that we see most often i think well now the way i know that it's endive that might be even more common but the white asparagus yeah. which is like really popular in europe is a forced plant and i think it's much more tender than the green asparagus and and probably a little bit less bitter
1: I like the, as well i, I guess your veal vegetables <laughs> yeah
0: sure <laughs> that's an interesting way to think about it i on wikipedia there's a cool well actually maybe it'd be on this food museum website there's a really cool picture of this like uh this rack in a cellar that had all the little endives growing from it. And uh, um, it's really good. And and as far as like, as why something means something to me. I, I think I didn't know this was the same plant at the time, but years ago I was in Paris and I, I went to dinner. There's a, this is a long story, but see I keep it short. Uh, there there was an episode of this America. No, it was an episode of this. I believe, which was this, this uh, public radio. Do you remember that? This, I believe yeah, I think um, I missed that one. It was this little NPR segment that happened kind of at the end of um, Morning Edition sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it was just somebody who would who would tell what they believe in. And it was like, this I believe in. There's some person, any person. It was like all these people explaining something they believe in. And there was this one I heard about this guy named Jim Haynes. And his, what I believed, was inviting people to my house to have dinner for free every weekend. And he told the story about he, he lives in Paris. He's an American guy who lived in Paris for years and years and years. He passed away a number of years ago. Uh, But he, for every single, I think Sunday for like 30, 40 years, he basically had an open invitation to come to his house for dinner. And after the, this America or after the, the, this, I believe radio story, he had to like start making some kind of like reservation system because it got really popular. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was in Paris one time and I, I was like, let's do this. So I like dragged my wife and her brother along and we went to this guy's house and it was really fun. He's like a quirky guy. He was like involved in the arts and it was like a total Parisian scene, but he served us a salad, which I've had and made several times now, which was Belgian endive, apples and blue cheese kind of chopped up and mixed together, which is really tasty. And I think maybe there's some walnuts in there, Yeah, uh, but really, really good. And it's something that, uh, that I've done and I was like, oh, that's, so that's one reason why, uh, this plant means something to me. But, but probably more importantly, why it means something to me, is the coffee connection. Okay. Right? Because I think you know that, that, uh, that chicory is another one of these plants that has been used as a coffee substitute. And it is often um, mixed with coffee. In fact, the really famous Café du Monde from New Orleans, uh, the coffee they serve at that famous cafe, is a blend of dried chicory root that has been roasted with coffee. Have you had that? Have you had coffee, coffee oh, yeah. Monde before? I,
1: I have. Yeah, um, I've got some chicory, dry chicory root in the in the house. It's like some mornings, it's just oof. It's a coffee substitute, but it's also just a just a good coffee friend. Like they, they mm. blend so well mm-hmm. together, and there's something yeah. about it. Uh, yeah,
0: I haven't done it myself. Uh, I need to. There's definitely chicory that grows around here, um, but. As far as meaningful to me is my on uh, my dad's mom's side of the family, they have a Cajun background, so uh, uh, mm. they're from Southeast Texas and in Louisiana. And chicory coffee is kind of an invention of the Cajuns, okay. and the history behind it. I, there's a really great article which I'll link in the show notes called "The History of Chicory Coffee." Um, that is by K. Annabelle Smith in Smithsonian Magazine, and super really interesting facts breaking down how it happened. And there was another article, I think, by a guy named Charles Nick in Third Wave Water, which is like a coffee blog, and um, basically told the story how during the Napoleonic Wars, Napoleon had a blockade on the British Empire, and because of that, the French people couldn't get coffee. And so they started using chicory, which is from that area, grows natively, to either substitute their coffee or or stretch out the coffee supplies that they had by mixing it Mm. then the acadians who are these you know french people who ended up in canada that ended up getting you know moved down to louisiana were in the new orleans region and new orleans port was the second largest importer of coffee in the new world besides new york Mm. but when the civil war started there was another blockade and and so they couldn't you know get coffee anymore and so the same thing happened again, not that long later, like 40, 50 years after this Napoleonic thing. And so there, the, the the theory is it's the same people who discovered this method of like getting their coffee fix yeah. during the Napoleonic blockade are, are now doing the same thing during this, you know, Civil War blockade. Um, and that's how the coffee culture around Chicory Coffee grew up around New Orleans. And there is a, a quote from this article by Kay Annabelle Smith that is quoting from a uh, the vice president of Café du Monde that says, when you look at the coffee aisle, you'll find the chicory brands are limited to about three and they all originate here in New Orleans. So that I, that, that culture of like buying chicory coffees is, a, is a totally a New Orleans thing. And it links back to my 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 history. And like, I, I remember like as a kid, I, I asked my dad just in a text message now, I think he didn't respond yet, but if I hear back from him, but we used to drink it as a kid. We, there's a brand called French Market. Have you ever seen that one? It's in a red can. Yeah, yeah one of the three brands and that used to be kind of around and we used to have those red cans around and I, I don't know if my um my family drank it um but but it was kind of a thing and i think it was connected to those cajun roots that we drank chicory coffee and it has a really good flavor i haven't drank it for years i gotta buy a can now i was just thinking about it i don't know why i haven't drank it i'm kind of i've turned into a little bit of a coffee snob and so maybe <laughs> i was like i don't want the kind of like you know adulterated so to speak coffee but um I need to go back to because it, it is good and it's a totally different flavor. It has like a different kind of hue to it. Yeah, um,
1: it's its own thing. I think the to- first time I got chicory and thought I'll make I'll make chicory coffee myself, I thought that I needed to use the same amount of chicory um, as I would for coffee beans. And it turns out that a dried chicory root is is potent stuff. And if you if you <laughs> treat it like it's coffee grounds, um, you make something that's like syrupy and thick and kind of undrinkable. Oh wow! (laughs) Little goes a long way, but it's um, there's nothing quite like it. I I I don't even. It's not a copy substitute. It's its own thing, and it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, totally, boy.
0: That that I'm so happy that you have some personal experience with it. So maybe maybe because I haven't tried it myself, I keep meaning to. But every time I walk past chicory, it's kind of like on the side of a road. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to like dig the chicory up like so close to like a road or whatever. Yeah. So tell me about your, yeah, how, how have you made it? Like what's your process of of uh, of making chicory coffee? I'm so glad that you have oh, some experience well, with that.
1: Um, I'm going to disappoint you here. Um, <laughs> I have managed to occasionally find chicory in bulk bin sections and just purchased the, the pre-pre- oh, okay. pre-prepared root. Um, so I would love to make my own, but you're right. it does always pop up like next to agricultural fields or right by the road or in places where you're like, no, no, i sh- I want to, but I shouldn't. I know I know better than that um, for contamination reasons. so one day, but um when it happens i will I will let you know, I'll report back
0: okay, cool. <laughs> I, well, if I do it first, I'll let you know, um yeah, please. That's super, and so you roast it in the oven, like maybe like I've roasted dandelion roots, which they're very related. They're in the same yeah. Asteraceae family. Yeah. Uh, I've, is I've, that I've pro- similar yeah. process. I've
1: processed dandelion roots, and I imagine it would be exactly the same. From everything I've I've read, it seems like it's plug and chug, chicory, dandelion, same same process. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, just maybe to make sure we don't miss if people haven't seen chicory flowers before they are really cool They some they're also sometimes called blue dandelion because they're these little blue flowers and they don't look quite like a dandelion they're a little bit different but they're really pretty blue little flowers um but they have like
1: they have another common name though i think where they're sometimes called ragged sailors
0: oh (laughs) i don't know that one but that sounds fun (laughs) (laughs) i could see that though i guess they're little blue things with like they've got little like teeth on the edge of their leaves or or the petals
1: yeah
0: um that's a fun name um so oh, this is one little last fun fact. When I was looking into the chicory coffee, I was very interested about where the chicory comes from that goes into these chicory blend coffees. And apparently there's very little chicory that's grown for coffee in the United States now. I think there's a one operation in Nebraska doing it. Uh, and they, they started doing it because it's a good uh, rotation crop for uh, sugar beet. So they'll like alternate (laughs) years, and it's the same process to harvest the root Mm. as to harvest the chicory. Um, But which is funny, so now the majority of the chicory, I think all of the chicory, according to this article I read about, for Cafe du Monde is imported from France. So it's a pretty ironic situation that historically it was <laughs> it was put into the coffee because they couldn't actually the French guys in New Orleans couldn't get coffee imported, so they were growing it sometime presumably around New Orleans, but now none of it is grown there and they're now importing it from France to put in their American coffee, which is super oh, fascinating.
1: God, that's, <laughs> nah, that's Yeah. You couldn't you couldn't write it better. That's the irony. It's yeah. lovely. Okay.
0: <laughs> Um, so, th- la- the last thing is, I, I did just get an update from my dad, and he does not really remember when he started drinking the chicory, uh, coffee, uh, my great-grandpa, who was named- called Papa, was, like, the most Cajun person I grew up with, but apparently he didn't drink it, yeah. so... I have to ask my grandma, maybe she remembers more but I remember always having those cans around, and my dad was definitely drinking it, and there was a point, like when I was in high school, I was drinking it a lot um, before I got into like you know, grinding my own coffee beans and stuff like that. But I'm definitely going to buy more a can of I've I had, I've had café du monde more often than I've had the French market, because you see that a lot more now. yeah, but I want to get a the cafe the French market can just looks really cool. It's red and has this kind of cool like old building on it, I think, so yeah. anyway. For sure. That's what I have to say about <laughs> uh about chicory.
1: Great! I learned I learned so much. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, when when you said you had a a a plant and you were thinking about coffee substitutes, I had a feeling. I had a feeling it was going to be (laughs) chicory. What would pair well with Kentucky coffee? Um, Sometimes I like to to pair my my different coffee substitutes together and sort of blend them and see if I can figure out a wild coffee that is more you know like a coffee coffee. Um, but I haven't tried actually combining chicory and Kentucky coffee yeah. yet but I think now
0: I have to a blend of chicory Kentucky coffee and yopon, which is one of my favorites and oh, I talked yeah. about where you get it maybe you get a little of the caffeine in there that's a that's a fun idea.
1: Well I've got all three on hand so I think I think that's the
0: next. Give question. it a try if you if you do that I'll, I'll point people to your uh, to your Instagram where you share some fun forage based stuff that that could be cool
1: Yeah I'll share
0: it appreciate. Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of Root Band. Thanks Steve.
1: This is coffee. Roasted in a coffee oven to its peak of perfection. This is chicory. Roasted in the same coffee oven to its peak of perfection.
0: Carefully blended, you get sunrise instant coffee, mellowed with chicory. Full coffee flavor without coffee bitterness.
1: Chicory does for coffee what coffee cannot do for itself. Chicory brings out coffee's better nature.
0: But leaves the bitter taste behind.
1: Sunrise. Better nature, not bitter.
0: That was a really fun conversation with Amy about the Kentucky coffee tree, and I'm really excited to try it and to make some Kentucky coffee tree coffee. And in fact, Amy has said she's going to send me some of her seeds, and so uh, I'm very excited to try it because I don't really know where I can get them around here, and it's definitely not the right season to get the the dried uh, beans. So thank you, Amy, for sending that. And I'll share uh, on my social media, at Rootbound Podcast, on Instagram when I get those, and see what i figure out with them i'm very excited about that and also i'm excited to kind of revisit chicory coffee i used to drink it a little bit when i was younger but it's been a really long time so i've got myself a can of french market that a uh, coffee that i used to drink a lot when i was a kid and uh, i'm going to be experimenting with uh drinking some chicory coffee now and then and also i'll get that fun cool red can at the end which is, is pretty cool i used to remember having those all around the house to hold kind of like odds and ends and things like that so Uh, What a fun episode Uh, talking about coffee alternatives. And thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next one. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Amy Anderson. Amy is an anthropologist specialized in biological anthropology and ardent hobbyist forager. You can follow her on Instagram at Hidden City Foraging. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit slash support and find all the ways you can help support the show, including following on Instagram at RootboundPodcast. Rootbound is hosted by chicory coffee drinker Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota, fake ads by David Blunny. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, have a seat at an outdoor cafe and order a cup of your favorite coffee substitute. Germination, the start of something big.